Mark 9, uh, verses 14 through 29. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw Jesus, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I have brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. He fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, It came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Good morning, Providence Church. My name is Kent, and uh, these guys have set a stage where you're saying, man, what on earth are we going to talk about today? Uh, Being asked if you're possessed or I'm possessed or getting into this whole thing of a little boy battling a demon. And uh, the reality is I am privileged to be able to jump up and dive into this story with you because I believe that in here uh, there are just some phenomenal things that the Lord would love to say to his people. So if you haven't yet done so, we'd love for you to turn to Mark chapter 9. And uh, we are going to pick up in this second story following what Jared took us through last Sunday with the transfiguration. The transfiguration is one of those sort of highlights of the gospel account in which we see Jesus up on a high mountain, and in Gabe's words, we find him unzipping his humanity that the glory of who he really is could shine out. Someday I hope to grow up and be able to paint pictures like Gabe does. This moment where the Father is speaking over the life of his son and says, This is my son whom I love. 
listen to him. And the radiant glory of Jesus is is just beaming to the point that Peter, James, and John, the three disciples privileged to be in the experience, said, Oh, Jesus, we ought to build some tents and just stay here. This amazing experience taking place on the top of the mountain. What's interesting, though, is while that is going on up on the mountain, down at the base of the mountain, there's a very different story unfolding. There's a story of struggle and pain and arguing. There's this this young child who is possessed by a demon, a father who is crying out for help, a band of disciples or followers of Jesus who are doing whatever it is they think might help, but it's not working, a a group of religious leaders standing off to the side, I'm sure being like folks in the bleachers saying, well, you should have done this, you should do this, sort of calling in the shots from the outside. You've got a crowd gathered just amazed at the whole thing that's going down, and it's chaos. And as I've read through Mark chapter 9 numerous times over the last few weeks, I've been fascinated with how the Lord put these two stories side by side. And here's what I ultimately want to suggest to us as we study through this today. All throughout life, even throughout an individual day, we will regularly find ourselves standing at a fork in the roads. And we will have to make a decision to go to the left or to the right. Down the one path, we will strive and battle our way through. Leaning on our own understanding, not actually putting our faith in Jesus, And ultimately, I'd suggest we'll experience nothing but bondage and burden the whole way along. But at every fork, there's also another path that we could choose. And it's a path where we earnestly seek Jesus. Where we determine, I am going to trust in the Lord with all my hearts. I'm going to not lean on my own understanding, but I'm going to acknowledge Him, believing that He knows how to make the path straight. And as I walk down that path, I'm going to get to experience the radiant glory of the Son of the living God. And I'm going to get to find the freedom and the hope that Jared talked about last Sunday. I'm going to get to see the very humanity of Jesus unzipped and and just find this power that is in Christ. And I want to challenge us today to start paying attention to the forks in the roads. It's interesting as you study through the scriptures, particularly the gospel accounts, God regularly puts two very different things side by side. Study the gospel of John sometime, day and nights. It's referred to often, light and dark, good and evil, the flesh and the spirit, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world's. 
Life is filled with forks in the roads. Always having to make choices. Which way am I going to go? So I want to walk you down through Mark chapter 9. We're not going to review everything Jared said last Sunday, but just for a minute, let me make sure you captured the picture of the transfiguration. Jesus went up with Peter, James, and John. The Father shows up. The glory of the Lord starts to shine with such brilliance. They can't even describe it in any other way. The disciples said, oh, we ought to just linger here. And then the Father speaks those words. Look at Mark chapter 9, verse 7. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Go then to verse 14, where a very different picture is unfolding. Three things I really want us to see as I walk down through this story with you. Three things that they experienced here and three things I want to suggest you and I will experience in our own lives. The first of these is the struggle. I want you to recognize the struggle that is taking place and I just want to point it out to us again today. We're going to face struggles in life. I love how Andrew just invited us into a prayer time of sort of putting a struggle before the Lord. He doesn't know where this thing's going to land at the end, but you're going to feel like, huh, uh, they must have talked about that. Notice the struggle, verse 14. It says, when they came to the other disciples, that is Peter, James, John, and Jesus, they saw a large crowd around them. And the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? Jesus asked. And a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirits, but they could not. As best you can, try to put yourself into this scene. Put yourself in the crowd, watching the pain and the struggle and the chaos of this thing unfolding. This man brings his son, I can only imagine what that was like, brings his son who has been battling with this demon, throwing him to the ground. His son gnashes his teeth, his son foams at the, at the mouth, he becomes rigid, again almost like being dead. And he comes to Jesus trying to get help. Kicker is, at the moment, Jesus is up on the mountain doing the whole transfiguration thing. So it's the disciples that he finds. And they're going to do something about this. We can handle this. I don't know how you handle the struggles of life, but that's an often quick response out of my heart. I can take care of this one. 
So the disciples step in to try to help. The religious leaders, these teachers of the law, are over to the side as they usually were, shouting out the instructions. They wouldn't lift a finger to help, I'm sure, but they're telling them what they ought to do. The crowd's watching in awe, saying, wow, this is a failure. And then Jesus starts to come down the path. I kind of wonder if Jesus is still glowing a bit as he's coming down the path. And the crowd goes running to him. And the first thing Jesus says, what are y'all arguing about? Why is there strife going on here? And the man steps forward and says to Jesus, teacher, I brought you my son possessed But your disciples can't do a thing to help. All of a sudden, the guy finds himself at a fork in the roads. There's a very real struggle going on in his life. Something far greater than what he could handle. Something far greater than what the disciples could handle. And he has to determine, am I truly going to go and do my own thing? Or am I going to trust this Jesus? Am I going to look to him to seek healing and help? from him. It's the same fork we face in our struggles in life. And I too want to invite you to just sort of picture one of the things you're facing in these days. For some of us, it may be a relationship that we're in. It's just not working out and we're not sure what to do about it. It's a relationship with one of our kids. I just don't know what to do. It it may be the direction for the coming years of your life. Where, Where am I to live? What career am I to pursue? What am I supposed to do about education? Am I supposed to go here or go here? For some of us, it has something to do with our health. It's trying to sort through what is going on. That's where my poor wife's at today, laying in bed, been sick for like two weeks with whatever this thing is. It's just wiping people out. What do I do? For some of us, it's with our finances. The anxiety, the feelings of chaos in our financial world. It's it's putting us at a fork in the roads. There's a struggle bigger than what we can handle. Second thing I want us to see here is the test. So mark this down. Inevitably, when we come to that fork in the road, we are going to find that our faith is going to get tested. In fact, I think we're going to find that Jesus is going to let us linger in the struggle long enough to look into our hearts to see what's really in there. Watch how this story unfolds. Verse 19. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I put up with you? Doesn't sound like the blue-robed, white sash Jesus that's with the sheep all behind him in the picture, right? Jesus is a bit frustrated here. Now, it doesn't tell us who he's frustrated with. Is it, is it just the like nine disciples? 
Is he frustrated with the teachers of the law? Is he frustrated with the man? Or is he just driving home a point? It says, oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I put up with you? How long shall I stay with you? Matthew records the same accounts. Matthew captures it this way. Jesus saying there, oh, unbelieving generation and perverse. It's a word that means twisted or confused. It's Jesus looking at these people saying, Man, y'all are just twisted in the way that you think. Again, picture yourself at a fork in the roads. There are two paths and Jesus says, man, y'all are confused. Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus... It immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? Don't miss that moment, right? This kid is in the dirt. He's foaming at the mouth. He is convulsing. And the one person who could bring immediately relief looks at the child in the dirt and then goes back into conversation with the father. Like if you can't grab the picture, the best I can come up with as I thought about this room was the balcony back there in the back. Somehow a kid, let's just go with my son, decides he's going to climb up the rail and go over. All of a sudden, my son is now laying on the floor, a bone protruding out of his leg, sorry. Bone protruding out of his leg. And we go running back there. And one of you knows exactly what to do to help. And you show up standing over my son in writhing pain, bone coming out, blood going all over. And you look around and say, hey, what happened here? Who cares what happened? Just help him. (laughs) Right? How on earth could Jesus see this, but just sort of look away, come back to the Father and say, tell me about this. Now, did Jesus not know how long the boy had been like this? Or was it that Jesus wanted to see what's inside this guy? Does he really trust me? And I want to suggest to us that in the middle of our forks in the road, we will find the Lord allowing us to linger long enough that he may examine what's really in us. Now keep in mind in those moments when everything feels real panicky, the one who comes off the mountain in full glory is not panicked at all. This doesn't make him nervous that the boy's rolling around in the dirt. He is in full control of exactly what he wants to see happen here. And so he says, hey, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. 
it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can do anything, oh God, if you would just step in and like do something, it'd be great. If you can, said Jesus. Now let me, let me throw this thought out to us. In my own journey, when I find myself at the forks in the road and I determine I've got what it takes to figure this out, I'm going to lean on my own understanding and I head down this path of my own striving and battling. What I will do along the way is I will just sort of lob these casual little prayers to the Lord that says along the way, boy, God, if you could do something, that'd be great. God, if you just help out, that'd be great. And let me tell you what I'm looking for. I'm looking for some sort of sideshow spectacle. I'm just chucking the dice, hoping that in the midst of my striving, somehow the clouds may part and God might finally decide to show up and do something miraculous. I'm pretty sure he's not going to, but we'll just throw some prayers that way and just, if he does, great. Along this path over here, Jesus can still be seen. He can still even be sought to a degree, but it's a little more like a team mascot kind of experience in my mind. Anybody ever been the mascot? Okay, just a couple. I mean no offense by anything about to come out of my mouth, so just, just roll with it. Picture a football game. When does the mascot show up? He shows up when there's a break in the action, right? Halftime. There's a timeout. The mascot comes running out there, does a couple cartwheels, flips around, hollers some stuff, pinches the cheeks of the little kids, and then goes back to the sideline. Why? Because the team's coming back out onto the field to get after it again. Is that not what we do when we're struggling through life in our own strength with Jesus? We're going after it hardcore. There's some kind of break in the action. We, we look to God and we say, oh, if you just show up and do something, that'd be great. Fully intending that we're actually just going to re-engage the battle ourselves. Jesus lingers here. Man says, hey, if you can do anything, boy, it'd be great to just see it. Jesus says, hang on. Remember, little boy is still in the dirt, foaming at the mouth. Jesus says, hang on. What do you mean if I can? Everything is possible for him who believes. Jesus wanted to know what's in this guy's hearts. The third piece is the decision. Verse 24, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. But Jesus, help me overcome my unbelief. I don't have a lot of scripture memorized, but I've got that one down. Of all the words of scripture that I have prayed back to the Lord, this has got to be close to the top of the list. Lord, I believe, 
Help my unbelief. I'm the guy on the roller coaster who jumps on, gets strapped in, bar drops over my head. It's locked in place so firm I couldn't move it if I had to. You know what I'm doing the whole clankety ride up the first hill? I'm checking that bar. Like I'm pushing with everything I got. Is this thing going to release? I believe in this because I got on it. But help my unbelief. I'm the Snoopy guy on the airplane. I want to see who's up there in that cockpit. Walked on one day. We're in a horrific storm. I look in. It looks like my 15-year-old teenage daughter is sitting in the cockpit. And I was like, oh, I trust you because I'm getting on. But every bump, I'm like, man, does she know what she's doing? We're coming in sideways. Does she know what she's doing? Help my unbelief. I do it with Jesus all the time. But notice this. In the decision, he declares, I do believe. Again, fascinating when you go back and look at Matthew chapter 17. I don't know if you know what's embedded in this story, but this is where Jesus said, if you have faith the size of what? A mustard seed. Tell that mountain to move and it will move. Please notice this. Jesus is not looking for a quantity of faith. He's looking for the existence of faith. Do you see the difference? It's not that Jesus is trying to get this guy to muster up a deeper something. He just wants to know, are we going left or are we going right? And he has all the room in the world for you and I to say, I believe, but Lord Jesus, you got to help me overcome my unbelief. He knows we're still going to fear and struggle and carry the anxieties at times. He knows that's a part of our lives. But the man decides, Jesus, I believe in you. So when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hands, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. Jesus unzipped his humanity a bit here and said, all right, if we're going this way, let me show you what I can do. Now, notice the trigger for when he healed the boy. Notice that. It was when he looked up and saw this crowd running toward him. Why was the crowd coming? The same reason the crowd always came. Sideshow spectacle. They just wanted to see another wow moment. It wasn't about faith for them. It was about watching loaves of bread get multiplied out or people walk on water or blind people being able to see. Jesus isn't interested in being a freak show. 
He's interested in responding to genuine faith. And he does in a beautiful way. Now, take this back into our own journeys. Three things I want us to recognize. One, we will face struggles. It's going to be a part of life. We will come upon things that are simply bigger than what we can handle. And I hope that you and I are growing quicker to recognize those. That we would quickly recognize, wait, 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 I'm not making this decision in my own understanding. I'm not going to decide who I'm going to marry in my own understanding. I'm not going down this path to figure this out on my own with all of the voices that are going to be lobbed my way, right? Mom and dad are going to say one thing. Friends are going to say another thing. Some total stranger is going to say another thing. You're going to be left in this striving and arguing through all of this noise. I hope you come quickly to the place of saying, uh, this is bigger than what I can handle. Some of you have met my wife. And it takes about two seconds with Jamie and people are like, how did he pull that off? Like, it's for real. I'm a redneck hick from northeast Georgia. And I married the queen of the world. You know how that happens? I still distinctly remember the moments. I was laying in bed one night. I was like 15 years old. And I simply said this, Lord, would you bring the girl into my life that you want me to marry? Because something in my teenage heart knew, if I go and do this my own way, I'm going to end up in the same disastrous mess everybody around me seems to be ending up in. I was 15, she was 14. The Lord caused us to meet at a volleyball game in a church sanctuary. And we've been together the last 26 years. In my own understanding, who knows what kind of chaos I would have created. I hope we recognize the struggles. I also hope we recognize demon possession is real. There is an enemy of the Christ follower's soul. And he is just as work today, just as much at work today as he ever has been. And I don't know if we choose to see it for what it is, but the enemy of your soul comes after you. I would say a demon can't possess somebody already possessed by the Spirit of God. But he'll still come fighting hard. And we need to recognize that. I don't think I have time to tell you all stories about this, but just a real quick little piece. It was about a year and a half ago. My wife and I just praying through an absolutely challenging time for our family. We felt like the enemy was, was just tearing at us. I'm out in the backyard. I live in Millard. 
No woods, no creek, no nothing anywhere around. You don't see snakes by my house. I'm out in the backyard. I'm on the lawn tractor mowing the grass. My, my daughter is on my lap. And all of a sudden, she just screams. I turn around and I see this like three and a half, four foot snake slithering up behind us. Now again, don't mean to be offensive here. Five kids, beautiful wife. Wasn't going to work for the snake and the family to both be in the backyard. I feel like maybe I've told you all this story. I yelled to my son to get a shovel. He grabs a shovel. He comes running across the yard, hands me the shovel from a distance. I take the shovel, and I just drive it straight through the snake. You know what was crazy? Is for at least another minute, the snake kept going. The back half of that snake burrowed itself so deep in my yard that I had to dig it out with the shovel. The head just kept right on going. And it was this unreal reminder from the Lord. There is an enemy and he's after you. And we found an experience in that chopping him in half thing of the Lord also reminding, but I'm bigger than this. I don't know how else to understand this story of what unfolded that day. Don't ever forget there is a very real enemy and he loves to come after us. Also, don't forget that your faith will be tested. He is going to want to know what's in there. And sometimes he will allow us to linger in the struggle so he can see, do you trust me? And then we've got a decision to make. So let me wrap this up with this. Let's say you're at a fork in the road and your desire is to choose Jesus. You want to go and do what it is that the Lord wants you to do. How do you, how do you get after that? Look at the last two verses here. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? Why didn't this work? And Jesus replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Some of your Bibles have a footnote there that says, only by prayer and fasting. It used to bother me. It used to bother me that we didn't know whether it was prayer or prayer and fasting. Right up until this week. Because I used to want to know, all right, so do I just need to pray or do I need to pray and fast? I got to know which it is. And here's what the Lord pressed into my heart's. Kent, you're thinking about religious activities. This isn't about you just throwing up a prayer. It's not about you skipping a few, a few meals. What it is about is you and I earnestly seeking Him. I don't think Jesus was saying, boys, if you would have just bowed your heads and folded your hands, this would have worked out okay. I think Jesus is saying, boys, apart from me, you didn't have a shot. You need to come seek me. 
Picture that for a moment. What if at the beginning of the story, one of the disciples would have said, hey, folks, hang on a minute. Let's just go get Jesus. Let's seek him. How do you choose his part of the path, his side of the fork? You earnestly seek him. What did the father say in verse 7? It's interesting to me, both these stories end the same way. What did the father say in verse 7? Listen to him. What if when we hit the struggles, we said, Jesus, I choose you, and we listen. So here's how I want to finish this with us. Very similar to what Andrew just invited you to do. And I'm going to ask if you just put your head down, close your eyes. Not about to have you do anything weird, so don't get nervous on this. Uh, But I do want to walk you through just a little exercise that I found incredibly helpful in my own journey with the Lord. I've got journals filled with these moments, and it's a beautiful thing. Just a little exercise of how do you go about navigating the forks? And what I want to ask you to do is just take that situation, that struggle. Again, relationship, finances, health, future, whatever it might be. And I want to ask you to take your your hands and just clench both fists tightly. Hold them out in front of you. I'm not even looking at you. I can't see you. Picture yourself gripping that person, that story, that thing, the disease, the money. Picture yourself gripping it. Grip it tight enough that your hand hurts. That's the struggle. And before the Lord, we're holding the struggle tightly. And I want to ask you, if you've got the faith that says, I bet if Jesus stepped into this, He knows the way. And if that's your decision with that story, I just encourage you to open your hands and to see yourself holding it now before the Lord. Hold it before the Lord in a way that says, Jesus, with this person, with this thing, with this question, I'm looking to you. I'm seeking you, Jesus. You are the one who has the answers. You are the one who knows the way. You are the one who has power to be able to work it out. And then I want us to take just a moment, and just as Andrew led us a little bit ago, I want us to take a moment and just, Jesus... Is there anything that you would have me to hear about this thing in my hands? Let it go. Yes, proceed. No, don't. 
be obedient, Jesus, what, what is it that I might need to hear? And I encourage us to be a people who learn to listen. Let the Lord speak into your journey. He knows. He cares. And I don't think you have a clue what step to take until he says something. So Jesus, would you take us? These men, these women, these children these mothers and fathers, these leaders of this church, people of influence in so many different parts of our society. Lord, would you take us and speak to our journey that we might listen to you and that we might be a people who find ourselves growing deeper and deeper in a relationship with you because we walk well with you. And Lord, I pray, would you unzip a bit of your humanity and let your glory shine that we might taste of the fullness of who you really are. I thank you for that, Lord. Amen.